everybody. I'm here with Dr. Calvin Sun. Under the same sky. Under the same sky. I agree. I have been following for a while now. I have been a great admirer of your work and your very interesting story. If you could introduce yourself, who you are, and I think a lot of people here want to know about your medical journey and just who you are now. Sure. Ironically, I'm here to talk about getting to med school, which was the last thing I expected to do. I'm born and raised a New Yorker, lived here all my life. I never thought I would ever leave the city. Uh, high school, college, med school, residency, and now currently work here. I originally did not want to become a doctor with my parents. And then after my dad died and my mom got sick in the summer of 2006, I decided to confirm that I didn't want to be a doctor and glad I you know, pursued that route. I spent two years after college as bartending doing odd jobs, entrepreneurial stuff, helping my brother out. One thing led to another and I lost a bet while bartending. And then 36 hours or something like that, I was in Egypt with a girl I had to met at the bar and lost the bet to. I was like, who the hell are you? And since that, given that attitude, 10 years later, I'm now a full doctor and 190 countries under my belt. So that's the short of it. I think the real aspect of the journey that I want to relate from that story is live in the moment. I think every moment until I think a year before I became a full attending. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to be. I didn't even know what I wanted to do five minutes from now. But by committing to the present, one thing leads to another. It all makes sense looking backwards, never forward. And then, you know, you never know what you'll become, but it doesn't really matter. It's not about what you become, but how you get there. So now I'm a doctor with a million stories, 190 countries. If I had listened to my dad, I still probably would have been a doctor, but no story. I wouldn't be here with you right now. I agree. And for all of the students here watching, whether they are pre-meds or med students, we have said many times in your interviews and your talks that you are not the student with the highest grades. You are not the one with the 4.0 GPA. And even where you said that, oh, no one's going to accept me in that one school who accepted you. What do you think you can tell those students who are pre-med now who are trying to pursue medicine? What do you think is the most important aspect of the application? Uh, just be honest and genuine. There's an aspect when you hear fake it until you make it. Uh, that is true. I did that too. But when it comes to putting yourself forward and as a person, don't fake it. Be genuine and authentic in your application because the last thing you want is a medical school to take you with mm -hmm. who you pretended to be and then you have to pretend for the next four mm -hmm. years of medical school and then they do it again in residency it'll eventually add up and especially in an environment like medical school which isn't great yeah. for, you know mental health and being you know able to speak out about how you're truly feeling it's still a very broken institution then you're not going to suffer uh, if you at least are honest and genuine who you are as a person and fake everything else like you know showing up and as long as you're just earnest and being yourself in your application just doing your best, you will find a medical school that takes you for you and then you'll thrive in there. And if you don't or medical school doesn't take you, it's not the end of the world. Do you know how many people would kill to be in your pen right now? I mean, it is, it's privilege that you even have the ability to apply to medical school. And I had to constantly acknowledge that there was a chance I would not get in anywhere and I had to accept that. And it was always like hurtful to not get in the place that you wanted to go, but that's the point. Like that's not, life is not about having access to anything. There are plenty of communities out there who don't have access anything. We can't even get on an IG live right now to watch. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. So I think I had to really just channel constant gratitude that mm -hmm. I was still alive and breathing and one school took me. But yeah, I was prepared to have no school take me. Yeah. I think the aspect of when I was applying was actually part of me wanted to get rejected everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I can actually experience I mean, my dad dying, my mom getting sick, that was trauma. Mm -hmm. uh, especially how sudden it was. I mean, and my girlfriend breaking up me at my dad's funeral <laughs> two days after or two days after that was not a great summer. But like, instead of running away from things like that, I understood from that experience, I need 
needed to run towards it. Mm -hmm. So part of me was to not get in anywhere, go through that experience, have my Oprah, Martha Stewart mm -hmm. story, and then become a world traveler. I don't know. And then become a blogger, become, you know, yeah. do something non-medicine and then yeah. kind of to want to restart my life in that way. And that one school took me because I was so genuine in my application. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the, that movie Office Space where everyone's about to get fired. And this one guy was like, yeah, fire me. I don't care. Then he ends up being promoted by his authenticity. I know it's a satire and it's a movie, but it's based on something. I mean, yeah. art is supposed to take art reflects reality. And mm -hmm. there is something to be said about being your authentic self mm -hmm. and being rewarded for it. And remember humanity, these are human beings accepting you into medical school. They operate and make decisions based on human emotions, mm -hmm. not logic. The closest thing to logic is maybe a cutoff, which is why I didn't get in most places. Yeah. And then make the cutoff. But I don't want to go to a school that bases students on a cutoff. Yeah. I don't want to slave to numbers. I don't want to go to school where they always see me as a number. So I wouldn't go to those schools anyway. So it kind of selects itself in the match. That's the other closest thing to something logical. You have to really finagle, you try to get them on the match. And with that, you do implement as much emotions into something's logical as a match, which, is, which are recommendation letters, yeah. and which is what I promoted myself in. When it came to grades and numbers, as you said, I was bottom half of the class, failed like one class, almost had to repeat the year in my second mm -hmm. year. I got a 212 on a on my step one, which is not a bad score, but everyone was getting a 240. So relative to that, I was not great. And then I got a 204 in a step two when I was supposed to do better than better. a <laughs> failing. So I failed, essentially. I mean, it, mm. 203 that year was passed. So I passed by one point. Not to mention the MCATs, even before medical school, that mm. was not bad, but yeah. you know, my pre-med advisors were like, you're, you're not going to get in with a 3.5 GPA and a 31. Like, you know, it's much mm. more competitive. But it was my essays, my interviews, and being authentic and tell me, my attitude, take it or leave it. I'm going to mm. travel with mm. Like a lot of med schools, like we really want to get to know you. We don't want to take you. I've had plenty of people say that. We really like don't think you'll make it or don't want to take it, but there's something in your recommendation letters or something that someone wrote about you or something that you wrote that really wanted to meet you. I lose nothing by mm -hmm. inviting, adding an extra in invitation invites. We give that all the time to legacy admission, rich fathers and mothers. Yeah. We do that all the time. So giving you an extra one, you know, they, they told me that the system is based on human emotion. And I had to just understand that I need to be as equally emotional and hundred uh, percent in it. I, I don't want people to get the wrong idea that yeah. I did commit. I don't half-ass anything. I put a hundred percent into mm -hmm. it, but also was committing to my Myself, knowing that yeah. even if I get rejected anywhere, I'll be okay. I'll be taking care of myself, and I want to be strong enough to be able to handle rejections everywhere. So, an underlying thing about you, Doc, is the idea of commitment. So, I first found out about you in this YouTube video, and I'm going to read a quote that you said in this video. And this whole video is so funny. That's when you talked about going to Egypt in 2010, and then finding out that the reason why the tickets are so cheap because of the Gaza genocide at that time. And I just wanted to know if you still believe what you said three years ago where you said we forget what it means to be ourselves in the moment it's not about following your dream fuck your dreams your dreams will let you down your dreams will pull you to places you don't need to be because you're not focusing on the moment commit to the present and how would you say this to students who all say it's always been my dream to become a doctor Fuck your dreams. <laughs> it doesn't take, it doesn't it change the fact. No, I, I, I really, I mean, I feel the same way about travel, which is everyone dreams about traveling the world. Mm -hmm. Everyone dreams of, and I mean, I appreciate that. Dreams are important, mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. But fuck your dreams in terms of <laughs> stop thinking about it, just do it in the moment. Like, what yeah. are you doing now that's getting you there? Or instead of dreaming about it, don't let your dreams be dreams is the nicer way of saying it. Yeah. 
Uh, the New Yorker me says, fuck your dreams, but in the sense of talking about what you could be and just do it now. Fake, that's what I mean by fake it till you be, make it. Mm -hmm. You know, everything you do now is getting you in the path, even if you don't feel like it. So when it came to, oh, I have a dream being a doctor, what are you doing? Are you reaching out to me and want to shadow me? I take everyone. Like, okay. even right now during COVID, I can't officially take people mm -hmm. because of the liability of having people exposed mm -hmm. to COVID, but I take people who, who want to shadow me at the races right now in yeah. Park. I just did. I took two, three, two random people. You just have to and so you do it try to see if you want to do it you don't know if that's what you what you're supposed to do there are plenty of people mm -hmm. who then shadow in that moment and realize they don't have, they can't be a doctor they shouldn't be a doctor doctor is not the only thing you do in medicine we need more nurses we need no physician assistants nurse practitioners medical assistants scribes we need all of that at the same time i can't do these things alone it's a team and so if you focus too much on the dream of becoming a doctor you miss out on all the other things that you could be better at doing Maybe you're better at being more engaged with patients at the bedside. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe that, that involves being a different kind of doctor or a physical mm -hmm. therapist or a nurse. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you love the medicine. So you become mm -hmm. a pharmacist or a physician. I mean, and, and or become a doctor. And then secondly, by focusing too much on the dream, you don't commit to the present. You, you don't see anything, what's going on right in the moment. And you miss an opportunity. If I dreamed to become a doctor, I actually would have met that girl at the bar. I probably wouldn't even become a bartender. Mm -hmm. I probably let alone wouldn't even say yes to bartending. I wouldn't mm -hmm. have said yes to that bargain because I'm mm. too busy trying to study to be a doctor. I would never have met the girl at the bar to lose the bet too hard to end up in Egypt to then lead me to then the story that I used to apply to medical school that then got me into medical school. If I had dreamed to become a doctor, I would have been dreaming to be a doctor, you know, thinking about being a doctor without realizing the other aspects of what makes a good doctor, which is being human. So dreams can fuck you up. Mm. Dreams screw you up because you don't really focus on the present opportunities that lead you to your life story. And when I travel and meet plenty of people who are just happier than Americans, yeah. what <laughs> their dreams are don't die today you know get water put food on the table yeah that's true and they, they, they appreciate the small things in life and i don't support poverty porn this is not yeah. the reason why you travel mm -hmm. it's the stories i hear when people grow up with hardships mm -hmm. and look at us and say you have so much mm -hmm. privilege to just even have dreams for us we just you know focus on the present and that's why we're happy and live a life of meaning and what's more important to you, happiness or meaning? Well, I find meaning and happiness. The only way to do that is to not have dreams and focus on what is important to me right now. Okay. And then taking that now, it would lead me to the next now and the next now and the next okay. now. Then I look back and I'm like, oh my God, my life has been a better dream than I ever could dream it to be. Yeah. I actually focused on my dream, I would never have traveled. And you have proved that so many times, especially the fact that you traveled to more than 150 countries during med school and the residency. And this whole traveling blog turned into a travel company, The Monsoon Diaries. And you even said in your blog, and I never skipped a single day of class or missed a single shift during that time. Well, I was once an hour late because of a delayed domestic flight from Arizona, but that was for a visiting rotation and nobody really noticed. How did you do it, Doc? It's a habit. How do you form habits? You just have to take that leap of faith. You ask how I did it. It's like asking me how I brush my teeth or eat vegetables or go to the gym and, you know, take care of myself for those dance practices I used to do. Mm -hmm. It's like, I fucking hate it. <laughs> I hate brushing my teeth. I want to go to bed and just, uh, <laughs> then someone told me I have to floss my teeth. Oh, God. We have to go to the gym and I'm like, I want to go to general dance and then like mm. even dance practices like i really don't want to yeah, dance yeah. personal problems you know mm. just eat your vegetables i don't want to eat vegetables and it's hard it's very hard don't get me wrong it's a lot mm. of hard work but it's good for you so when it came to like going in these trips don't get me wrong it's the it's a first of all pr problem it's a, mm. a privilege i get it but there are many times when i was in an airplane i'm like i'm traveling again oh god i really want to just wake up in bed and do nothing yeah. sit in a cafe at most and just watch the world go by but every time i come back from a trip mm. it feels like an investment like mm -hmm. thank god i did that that mm -hmm. is 
another experience that I'm grateful for, that I'm never going to forget. And it's way more valuable than buying clothes or cars and material things. And I even say this goes back into uh, when I was a med student, I had no money to travel. And I would take out loans. I would just go to my med school loan office and take out loans to buy books. And sometimes I would buy the books, then look at the books. And I'm like, this is terrible. I'll just buy them on, you know an ebook, borrow my friend's ebooks, Xerox them or something, you know, send it as a PDF myself. And then I would take that money and travel. And before med school that summer, I just uh, subletted my apartment. I would go on campus back in college and go to all the free food events that my friends below me was sending me. I, I, I dated a girl that was one year younger than me, for example. She like was still in college. She was a senior in college and I was already one year out. I would go back to say hi and everything. And I would just <laughs> and go to every single free food event. Free food events. <laughs> I would just like pop in. So I'm here for that friend, and I'll just take all the free food. I would still do that. I was very weird, but in the years after college, the two years, I would save so much money by mm-hmm. not spending on food, by just taking mm-hmm. go to free food events at my old college, or even like you know uh, other events. So it just, it just bring Tupperware in a backpack. <laughs> uh, you'll be that person, but you know what? You'll you'll thank yourself later when you're on an airplane going yeah. to a country for three or four days. Even for two to three days, it's worth it. I will book like eighty dollar airfare from like New York to Ireland or New York to Oslo, Norwegian Air Shuttle. If you do New York to Paris to Rome to London to Prague to Budapest back to New York, it's like six thousand dollars or something. Yeah. But if you like switch Prague and London, and it's like New York to Prague to London to Rome to you know to Budapest, <laughs> switch it all around. <laughs> that six thousand dollar flight or something goes down to like three hundred. I have a screenshot on my website. You've seen it. It's like, yeah, I've seen it. I'm like, yeah. Oh my god. This- I'm glad I found this out in 2010 because that's what I've been doing ever since then. You know, so how did I do it? It's just, you just have to spend the extra four minutes, the extra five minutes. I mean, you don't believe in it. Read The Alchemist. Yes. It's all final five minutes, about to give up. If you just do an extra five minutes, that can mean the world. You That's the rest of your life. It's only when your heart says, eh, I don't really care about it. That's when you like kind of think, okay, I don't care about it. Well, even if they spend the five extra five minutes, whatever's on the other side, it's not worth it. That's when you realize, okay, it's not worth it. But if you really, really want it and you've given up, do it again. Do another five minutes. As long as I'm not hurting anyone or anyone else. I mean, yeah. I'm not hurting anyone by taking yeah. some free food. Free food is <laughs> put in the trash anyway. One by getting a four hundred dollar flight instead of a four thousand dollar. Yeah, it just worked out in the end. Yeah, that's amazing. And there's a lot of people who decide to take like let's say gap years in between undergrad, going to med school because they want to travel the world, see the world. Do you have any regrets in general for medicine, given how long and arduous the whole journey is? Do you look back and be like, wow, I could have used all of those years to do something else? I wish I traveled a lot more and you know failed <laughs> more than the one hundred. Damn, I wish I failed more times. I mean, no, I, I mean, I really don't want, I, I was literally hanging by a thread in medical school, but I, I definitely think I could have, you know, you know, actually I have no regrets. I mean, there's no, it, it's just no mistakes, just lessons. Every time I didn't do well, I studied harder. Every time I'd miss the country, I would, you know, make another effort to go back. And medical school is long, but don't postpone your life. You live now. If you keep postponing your life, oh, it's so long, but I'll live afterwards. Then you're going to start making a behavior of, oh, I'll live after I, you know, get a job. No, I'll live after I get my first promotion. No, I'll live after I get my raise. And then it becomes easy to say, no, I'll live after. I'll, I'll, I'll travel after. And before you know it, you're like married with kids to someone you don't really know that well because your parents told you to or something. And then, you know, you're raising kids and you're, you're sorry too late. You're too old. You're too old. You're that old creepy person on a hostel and you don't want to be that person. And you miss out on the whole experience and that's it and then you're lying in your deathbed and you're like that's it that's how i spend my life i mean life is not a journey that's what i mean fuck your dreams fuck <laughs> journey 
it, it's not a journey. Like it's if life were a journey, then if I go on a dance floor and mm. love dance, yeah. the best dancer is the one who dance as fast as possible. <laughs> the best EDM concerts would be the, the DJ that spins the fastest. <laughs> the best, or even don't like EDM, maybe the best classical conductor that goes. As fast <laughs> Not really enjoying the experience if you're trying to rush through life oh i need to do this i need to do this i need to do this i'll live after mm -hmm. life is not this journey life is a dance in that you enjoy and live now what can you do now and turn into how can you do it now so i'm in med school yes it is long but how can i make med school enjoyable mm -hmm. doing one non-medical thing every day i mean i'm not saying travel it should be something for everyone and you find your own love language it could be you know wellness and yoga and you know mental health or something with activism mm -hmm. social justice medical education yeah. you find your own love language that is completely opposite of what's going on in medical school around you so you balance that life out and for me it was travel and you know just you know social justice doing all the three things was the reason why i was still able to be a medical student the thing about two people facing each other grabbing their hands like this and leaning back that's what med school and travel was for me mm. if i gave up on travel and just focused on med school i would have burned out i probably mm. would have dropped out of medical school I just, mm. I, or got kicked out because i've been so boring <laughs> not class president no ability to talk to patient and no motivation to study it was the traveling that lit a fire in me to study more efficiently and harder and some and then after enough traveling i actually got a rhythm I, I studied better if it weren't for medical school i wouldn't have the fire under my ass to travel as much as possible yeah, i just true. been like yeah i'll do it tomorrow yeah I'll, I'll do it tomorrow i'll travel next week and once you do something like that, then it becomes a habit, right? Once you come back from a trip like Ireland for 24 hours mm -hmm. or Arizona for 48, 36 hours and bringing people, then you realize what you can do with your life in 48 hours on a weekend when you don't travel. Most people see weekends are like, oh, I plan to have brunch, catch up with friends, maybe do my laundry <laughs> to a doctor's office. But if you do something like I'm going to go to Ireland, I'm going to leave on Friday night, hop on a plane that's 200 bucks that takes me to Ireland, get to Ireland by Saturday, meet seven other strangers, drive to the other side, get back by Sunday, and then make it time for work on Monday on a $200 flight. I spend way more on yeah. a ski trip or boozy brunch. Then you realize, oh, my life is completely different. Life takes a different meaning. And then it becomes like brushing your teeth where you're like, ah, I don't want to do it, but I have to do it. Yeah, it That's just becomes a habit after that. Have you traveled anywhere outside the States since COVID started? No, or? no, I didn't actually. So I went from New York to Seattle last August in an RV with like seven negative stirs. I had to test them twice. Well, I think two of them like quarantined for 15 days before they joined the mm -hmm. RV. Mm -hmm. Then every, most of the doors times outdoors and then came back on the Amtrak. That was fine. And I did do a free diving trip in Baja, California. Isolated fishing village with like 20 people that are all COVID negative. And actually were traveling two weeks without symptoms mm -hmm. and COVID negative before mm -hmm. I joined. Not gonna be scared of me. Yeah. I was a threat. Not that, yeah. and that was fun. And that's it. I haven't really done anything else. Amazing. That, that, that's fun, especially just in an RV, right? Going across the country. Yeah, a lot of fun. Like, that was very soul enriching. I mean, it's still not the same as being in a foreign country where nobody speaks the language and being truly off the grid. You know, spending time in an RV with six, seven strangers, super chill and having your space outdoors, just being on an open road. I mean, the road is freedom. The road is life. And mm -hmm. it was a good detox for a lot of us. So most of our frontline healthcare workers. Going through all of that stories of going to medical school, traveling in between, you are now a, have been a fully pledged emergency medicine doctor. And for everyone here who probably has experience going to the ED, 
one point in their life from the expert of the field itself what is emergency medicine what's the bread and butter of being the emergency room is it just chest pain is it trauma what goes on in a typical day in an emergency room it, if there's it, a typical day <laughs> depends on where the emergency room is what neighborhood mm-hmm. what city the patient population that it serves what kind of emergency or what kind of hospital it is mm-hmm. so like if it's a standalone emergency room versus like a tertiary care with the academic mm-hmm. medical school attached to it uh, and also depends on who's working in the emergency room. Some people are just dark clouds. So bread and butter is different. I can't really say every day. So I work per diem for that reason every day. And I'm in a different emergency room. So I always get a different flavor of emergency medicine. But yeah, I mean, you just have to be prepared for anything. I think the closest thing I can compare to is like bartending. It depends on the bar, which neighborhood, <laughs> which kind, what kind of bar it is, the people yeah. working, right? So if it's a Friday night, it's Friday, Saturday night, Saturday night, it's different, very, very different from Monday sure. during, the, during the day, different clientele. Yeah, and it's the same presentation. So, well, is it yeah. abdominal pain? Yeah, we get that at the bar. Mm-hmm. You know, is it people who are drunk? Yeah, we got plenty of that. <laughs> Instead of alcohol, I'm dealing, you know, medicine. A little more hands-on than being in a bar, but the, it, the spirit is the same. But you've also been in, like, trauma centers as well, right? With, like, full pledge MVA accidents and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I, got, I have scars to prove it. I trained at Jacoby Medical Center. My first emergency medicine experience was at Bellevue, which is the country's first public hospital, and that's mm-hmm. public trauma center. And then I went to medical school at Kings County Hospital Center in Sydney mm-hmm. Downstate. Mm-hmm. That's the other big level one trauma center. And there's only one left. That's in level one. Oh, there's two more. I've lived next to Cornell, New York Presbyterian, where my brother lives, uh, mm-hmm. works. But I wanted, like, you know, city. So I went to Jacoby for training, which is the other level one. So have IDs at all those places. I know, I've seen. <laughs> Northwell, like, so the standalone ER, which yeah. is, you know, like what you see on Netflix. Yeah. So it's a little bit of everything. Yeah, and ED is called to be for the thrill, for the adrenaline junkies. Do you ever get used to that? Do you ever get squeamish still when you see certain things? Or you just get used to it over time? You get used to it. Seven mm-hmm. minutes in heaven is what I say when you like it's <laughs> anything. You just spend seven minutes with it, just in it. After a while, your body's like, or your brain is like, ah, I got it. All right, fine. It's something you're used to. So whether it's feces or vomit mm-hmm. or blood, of course, it's always weird. But you know, the first time for anything is weird. Puberty is weird. <laughs> Puberty, and you'll get used. To, nah, not really. But <laughs> but anything new is you're gonna get squeamish, and then you, know, you don't want to die without scars. You want to have some experience, and then experiences of course gonna be difficult. So yeah, if you're squeamish, it's always gonna be something that's gonna make me squeamish. Like for, I think for me, I really haven't gone over like bugs. If I'm looking to somebody's ear and I see like eyes looking back at me, mm-mm. mm-mm. No. <laughs> That's that's my. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine. That that gives me the chills just thinking about it right now. Yeah, you're gonna have you have to like pour like some kind of uh, solution in it. Yeah, you gotta kill it and yeah. then you gotta take it out. Oh my gosh! And one question that was actually sent in was, what was the rarest admitting diagnosis or reason that someone came to the ED for that you had to take care of? I have a lot of weird, rare diagnoses, like like a worm coming out of somebody's butt. I didn't admit that person, though. I sent that person home. An asthmatic that we intubated, but but we couldn't intubate because they were so far gone. So we had to do a cricothyroidectomy, mm. which is a cut into that neck with mm-hmm. like a straw in the neck. But the person had no neck, so it was like the penguin. So mm. that, um, he lived. Uh, mm. That's my one of my craziest stories. But it's a long one. And then there's like plenty. Of, I had the weirdest COVID cases. Every time I like read about something, I was like, oh, that's never gonna happen to me. I had it, like mm-hmm. a stroke in somebody with COVID. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had uh, weird heart rhythms that no one's ever seen before. And yeah, somebody came in hugging the mummified body of his mom. Yeah, I had that. I had a pull down someone's pants during a trauma. They hit by a car and I found a dead baby inside the pants. 
Do you still want to keep asking me that? Yes, please. I feel like everyone's like speechless right now. Oh my gosh. This is why I don't think I can be in the ED. I'm sorry. Everyone's talking about the bugs. Everyone, oh, bug in the ear. It's, it's, uh, no, I only had that once and I was like, one and done. I'm out of here. I just took, pulled it out blah, and then discharged. I didn't want to look. Oh my goodness. And being in the ER, it's like, I feel like being on the floor since I'm on a post-cardiac surgery floor, the doctors and the whole team of PAs and NPs, they have time to think of what to plan for, right? They, they make their plans and assessments. They stay there for a few days. But in the ED, you are just met with this patient with this current problem. How do you know what to do at that moment, at that giving moment? How do you know what to give them right away? Are there times you feel like you gave them or you planned the wrong thing like you failed in that immediate care at that moment yeah you gotta be confident with being uh, not confident you mm. have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable mm. you have to be confident to say i don't know i'm not perfect and i want to do my best mm. and you gotta own up for the possibility you might be wrong ideally though you're not wrong because everything in medicine is an art most patients can be met where they are emotionally i mean they're there not to have something fixed per se i mean mm -hmm. they're fix it but really to be understood to guide them through whatever the process that they're going through in the moment not every patient can have their pro problems fixed immediately otherwise every other specialty mm -hmm. or the inpatient floors would be out of a job mm -hmm. there'll be no need for surgeons there would no be need for ortho or ent mm -hmm. because fix the problem in the moment in the emergency room you, you pick people up where they fall so if you're running a marathon and you fall down i'm the guy that picks you up i don't know what injuries you might have i don't have an x-ray i'm not I don't have an ultrasound on. I don't have radiology to know exactly what went wrong as you fell or how you fell, why you fell. Maybe you had a heart attack. Maybe you tripped and fell or you hit your head. But I at least pick you up where you are. I get you started and get you to the finish line and then get you to the next the physical therapist or somebody to fix your bones or whatever. In the emergency room, I pick you up with whatever it is. If you're a heart attack, I'm the first one to give you in medication. Uh, not only, I'm the first one to know it's a heart attack and give you the medication. Yeah. Uh, and I'm the one who picks up on it. And essentially all of that is using the force. You know, be a Jedi. I was at least that's how I was trained. I'm not going to speak on behalf of other ER doctors because mm -hmm. everyone was trained differently. But at least the way I was trained at Jacoby was to learn to be a Jedi where I can look across the room and not necessarily know what they have, which is great because I was not a really good student, but I'm a people person. I look across the room and pick out the people that look sick and need more workup. And hopefully I'm right. And I always admit that I could be wrong all the time. So on bad days, I do a little more work in screening people. And if I'm really awake and alive and I'm talking to everyone and everyone's in a good mood, they tell me what's going on immediately. Or they just feel better after a conversation, after we discuss together. Maybe times, a lot of times deciding together, saying like, no, this to totally puts in a perspective that I have. Maybe it's better to say I see a primary doctor. I don't need to be over-tested or get unnecessary radiation that I was just, you know, worried about. Or I felt better. Or you found what I had, you know, by asking mm -hmm. the right questions. It's, it's a huge difference between like, you're feeling okay versus how are you doing today, you know? It's not about what you do or how you do it. So I always like to say that every day of my life is everyone else's worst day of their lives. In an emergency room, the only way you can, you know, screw it up is by being completely negligent or one yeah. for people. Yeah. If you go with an open mind, open in terms of talking to people, meeting people where they are and guiding them together and they're guiding you as well, most of the time, 99% of the time, you'll end up in a good place. If you can only help the people who want to be helped. Yeah. Then the patients who don't want to be there, those that that's difficult. You have to sort out the sick people, determine capacity if they can decide for themselves. That's a whole nother ball game of uh, it's like minefield. Yeah. But that's what makes emergency medicine different and fun and also yeah. challenging.
and rewarding and fulfilling. And I feel like with emergency medicine too, especially the past year with COVID, it has been the crux of how COVID started, honestly. And you, Dr. Sun being basically, you are the first-hand reporter of the COVID-19 in New York City during its spike. I'm just curious, given that I'm on the upper floors, you know, I get your patient. How was it really down there when New York was getting their first cases of COVID? I've heard of things like in our own ED and that people were just passing away in the ED because we had no more beds for them on the floors. And everyone is just losing oxygen downstairs in the emergency room. How bad was it in the hospitals that you were rotating at? It was a shit show. Mm. It was terrible. I mean, I'm like going through all my posts right now and reposting mm. them. I don't think yeah. we get what yeah. happened a year ago. I mean, things, it, I've seen enough things that give you nightmares for the rest of your life. Mm. So that's on my shoulders and I can't unsee them. And there is as bad, if not worse, than what you can imagine it to be. Mm. And it's like walking into a morgue. I mean, not everyone was dead, but there were enough. I mean, I had started shifts with the doctor overnight. Didn't know that three people were dead. And he was telling me about them. Hey, check out this person's x-ray. I'm going to go home. But the x-ray results will be back in about 30 minutes. Depending on what it says, they can probably can go home. I don't think it's anything. I'm like, that person is, that person, I think he's dead. Mm. Oh, I didn't know. Like. That's and that they and they're okay. Let me tell you about two other patients. Then he's dead too. What what happened last night? <laughs> like, yeah. oh, I don't know. you know, it's like you know, okay, that's how I start my day. I'm going to call yeah. three families I didn't know and just mm. tell them that the doctor overnight worked really hard and did their best. And I don't know when they died, but go. I was like, go home, you know. And that's 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 uh that's a lot of it. So yeah. And I think a big thing that came out of this was the concept of moral injury um, that was circulating around how, especially healthcare workers, how are everyone's mental health during these times? And I wanted to bring it up as well because there was news of an ER doc who passed by suicide, Dr. Lorna Breen, in the middle of the pandemic. I was just curious of how you handled it. I, I can imagine how much of a hellhole it was during that time. Sometimes the things that you were doing were not helping the patients anymore and they just passed. How did you decompress from all of that during that time, even until now? Because for sure, the trauma is real. Uh, I can't imagine what Dr. Lauren Breen went through. Uh, and I don't want to speak on behalf of her. Yeah. But what she went through was something that I think I can relate uh, in some regard of feeling extremely helpless and feeling responsible. I can only speak on behalf of myself. I am extraordinarily lucky and grateful to have set up a very strong healing apparatus in my life. Mm -hmm. I grew up through childhood trauma mm -hmm. and, you know, come home and, you know, people die or I get abused or my dad died. A week after he tells me he's proud of me for the first time, but not mm -hmm. tell me why. And then my mom gets Parkinson's and then my girlfriend breaks up with me at my dad's funeral. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, just not having a place to live. I mean, it's mm -hmm. summer 2006, worst and best summer of my life. Mm -hmm. And not being afraid to ask for help, not being fragile enough so that you can admit you're wrong and that you don't know everything and that you need help. And by the time I went to medical school, I started medical school, I already had a huge, like what I call a Jedi council, people who not were related to one another at all in my life. They knew of each other, but they were not friends with one another. It's not like we're all in the same like silo. They all had their own group of friends. They were friends with me as well. And I was able to harness all of their resources. I knew that if I asked for help for one side, they had their own group of friends to take care of them. So I wouldn't be so much of a Burden. It wasn't calculated. It was just like me. It just naturally came mm -hmm. to this day. It worked out great. And it's, and I had a lot of resources where I can ask someone if somebody else is too busy to take mm -hmm. care of me. I always say that relationships, boyfriend, girlfriends come and go, mm -hmm. but friends are always there for you. 
So I had an, a great Jedi Council of friends and I called that my healing apparatus. They were always there to read me and understand me. They were, it was a lot of biofeedback that, you know, allowed me to process it. And then when I, by the time I got into COVID, I've been through so much by then that mm. COVID was just, I mean, COVID was yeah. one of the difficult things. That's the, the completely new beast, but it, you know, history doesn't repeat itself. History rhymes. So mm. it was, it rhymed with everything else that I had gone through mm. before and healed and bounced back. Because it's not about how you, you fall, it's about how you get up from it. And a lot of people picked me up when I fell before I had to rely on them. I mean, all my PPE donations came from my, mm. my brother and my best friends, people who helped mm. me before and people I have helped in return. Mm -hmm. So I, I knew I could trust them and didn't have to think about it. That's one less thing to worry about. Mm -hmm. And then finally, taking care of myself. I also yeah. am very comfortable with taking care of myself and admitting that self-care is extremely important. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not fragile enough to get a mani-pedi, to get a facial if I want, to get a massage, to take mm -hmm. here and, you know, spend outside, walk outside in nature. Like, who the fuck cares, you know, what other people think? Yeah. I do these things for myself so that I, I don't have to think about it too much. It's easy to take care of myself. I don't even make it a difficult thing to admit. And then by that point, when COVID came around, I had an enormous amount of foundations to have brought me through the threshold of always being happy. I, I was always putting myself, mm -hmm. not to make it sound a bad way, putting myself yeah. first and then yeah. I always, you know, if I ever felt like I was in need of something, I would mm -hmm. honor it as long as it didn't hurt other people yeah. or disenfranchise other groups. That's a bit really important. Traveling is one of those things. Every three weeks I would travel in medical school up until COVID. Obviously, I lost that during COVID, which is mm -hmm. why I burnt out in COVID mm -hmm. more than any other time mm -hmm. of my life because I didn't have one of my strongest healing apparatuses, which mm -hmm. was access to friends, socializing, physical closeness with other people, and traveling. But because I had already honored it and invested in it all my life up until COVID, it was not very hard to have reaccessed those things simply by just going back through photos. Or remember, I blog every time I travel. Right. I've been keeping a diary since I was six years old. I still have my Zanga. It's still up. All those things I've been through before and mm -hmm. all the travels I've been through and also having and not having postponed my life. I have traveled 190 countries at that point. I didn't feel like I had to go through COVID feeling like I was alone and by myself and at a loss because I had already fully lived and I'm only grateful. So if I were to die today from COVID, I lived a full life. So I was able to go back into it much more. Um, I mean, I still was scared, but yeah. you know, maybe I did, like, deluded myself. I lived a full life. Hey, you know, I'm still here now, but very grateful. I think that's, I mean, I, I do feel like I have a guardian angel out there, whether it's my dad or, you know, something or other people or the people I met before. But I believe in energies and all the people yeah. I met. Yeah, it's just so important, especially as healthcare workers as well. We're in such stress for such a long time. It's just so important to like decompress out of that workspace. And thank you for everything you've been doing, especially during these times, aside from COVID, of just the past few weeks and months of which we relate to both is hate crimes and the violence against Asian Americans. And thank you for what you've been doing, been holding rallies and protests and speaking out hope and just safety to everybody. How does that affect you at work too? Or just even walking around New York City where a lot of things have been happening? Yeah, I, I think that big picture needs to be appreciated here. The big picture being that I'm a six foot one heterosexual mm. and I am the threat on the street. I understand harm I bring to an intersection by having that demographic. I'm grateful for the privilege of being a man that's heterosexual, cisgendered, so I don't have to think about it today. Mm -hmm. It's not considered something that's a target. And I have not experienced the level of violent discrimination that my peers have who do mm -hmm. not have the privilege of being a man who's six foot one mm -hmm. and has been in fights before and, mm -hmm. and you know gets into it i mean i fight all every day in the er if somebody yeah. chokes my nurse yeah. as my nurse guy or girl i will leave 
leap over and become mm-hmm. security before security gets there. Like I got scars all over my arms. Just like I just, yeah. you know, I have a restraining order, like two patients who, oh. so I have to understand that what I experience is not what other people experience. So the yeah. least I can do is amplify their voices. You do not need to hear from me. I talk too much about, I already have enough of a platform to say, you know, racism and misogyny is terrible. Mm-hmm. You need to hear the voices out there who are not being the hate crimes you're not hearing about yeah. but yeah i mean if you're you're really asking about how i feel about it it's, it's fucking terrible but i grew up around it. I, just like i said covid didn't create yeah. problems nothing COVID. new you clarified a broken healthcare system mm-hmm. this what's going on in the past month a year against asian americans is not new society's been doing that to black trans disabled religious mm-hmm. all demographics it's been violently oppressed since mm-hmm. the dawn of time it's the lens that has changed oh we're gonna focus on islamophobia we're gonna focus as anti mm-hmm. you know blackness or women or anything and now sent to Asian Americans we've all been oppressed I think that it's great that a lot of people are now coming together in solidarity but I think there has to be a lot of understanding and atonement going on of all the groups you've ignored up until it was your turn to be focused on how many communities have you stepped on to get to where you are right now atone for that I don't think that this is just a moment it has to be a movement you need to sustain them all your life make this a life's work mm-hmm. i've been involved in activism since eighth grade a lot of it was out there a lot of it was behind the scenes i've been told i've been i've sold out i've told i've been too radical i've told, been mm-hmm. told that you know my actions would never get into medical school i was told that i wasn't radical enough or activist enough fine I did it all. I, I touched the burner. I apologize for the things I've done. I understand my privilege and I'm still learning. Make it a life's work. And I wish that other people who are just new to this, which is great, welcome to the movement to do your own due diligence and work because I'm exhausted at this point. I, mm-hmm. I, I can't keep educating other people yeah. because I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. I'm still trying to understand all the harm that I have caused mm-hmm. as a man in the society because I'm not fragile enough to not be able to admit that. I have extraordinary amount of privilege. I'll be okay understanding that I made some mis- I made mistakes and I need to be better and be a better activist in my circles and give up my platform to other people to to amplify their voices. I'll be fine. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. I have to understand that I cannot be entitled. Anyway, I talked too much already, which is ironic because I'm trying to not talk. It's great. Um, Thank you so much. Actually, a very common question that people were asking, it's very different from the questions that I've asked so far is, do you have any specific abs, chest, and arms exercises for them? I do 531. I think 531 is really... Uh, Jim Wendler and then beyond mm-hmm. 531. That's what I, that's the most efficient thing I can do, mm-hmm. I can recommend right now. It's very simple, it's easy, it's safe, uh, and it's very sustainable. And it's not about gains, it's about yeah. strength, actual yeah. truth, and dancing. So, do you still dance uh, up to now? Yeah, yeah, I still dance. I mean, I have a big white floor, I sometimes do some break dancing. Oh, you did hip hop too, right? If yes, I'm... grew up on hip hop. See, we have such a very well rounded <laughs> doctor here. I just get bored really easily. You just get bored easy, easily. Yeah. Any questions on the crowd? Yes, any questions? Is it true you weaken your immune system every time they draw out blood? Mm-hmm. Uh, depends on what they're drawing your blood out for, how much mm-hmm. blood they're drawing out, and what your baseline immune system status is. But most of the time, a, a routine blood draw does nothing to your immune system, mm-hmm. unless they poke you in the eye. <laughs> well, that changes it all. <laughs> Do you think anti-Asian crimes commit to trauma, and does that bridge to chronic health conditions? Yeah, and, and trauma is, in, I really honestly believe the reason research that's coming out that trauma is embedded in your DNA. So if your family has gone through a famine, for example, the Irish potato famine or Stalin mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Mao, whatever they, you know, different, you know, impacting generations, your body habit is actually retains fat, or at least the children of those families going through a famine. So their body habit is actually retains fat more in response mm-hmm. to that trauma. If that's the case, then of course, mental health, which I believe is physical health, mental health is health, 
It's all connected to placebo effects are powerful. I think all of that is encoded in your DNA. So if you go through enough trauma, violence in your life, you know, childhood trauma, that is perpetuated not only in your dating habits, like mm-hmm. honestly, your relation with your parents has a lot to do with your late, your romantic relationship later on as an adult. Of course, it's going to pass down then into your DNA and your future progeny and children. Mm-hmm. Yes. Any thoughts on blood clots news with the new vaccine? So you have to understand that the incidence of blood clots, like I have like five blood clots a day from the general population. Do you know how much blood clots COVID causes? Way more than that. The vaccine, any inflammatory response from a vaccine is going to cause an inflammation result mm-hmm. and increase your incidence of mm-hmm. clots. Sure. Mm-hmm. The, actually, what surprises me is the number of incidence of clots in the vaccines that we have for COVID is actually less. Yeah. population that's not that to me i need to really figure out because yeah. when you get any vaccine your body produces inflammation all these new antibodies you're going to be a, a clotting machine but due to what even worse than a vaccine the inflammatory response of covid yeah. your body just is out of control and you're getting strokes and you're getting blood clots and dvts we have anticoagulation for clots it's not great i'm not a big fan of how controversial astrazeneca guys hydroxychloroquine was give hydroxychloroquine to people with rheumatism it's not mm-hmm. a evil drug we still need it for rheumatoid disorder and malaria but i don't like the controversies surrounding hydroxychloroquine for pandemics so i'm like Ugh, you're like toxic like it's like an ex it's like a former relation romantic partner yeah. that was just all over the place with me you got to figure your shit out because everyone is so hyped about the qtc prolongation causing blood clots and microstrokes and <laughs> yeah i i sim- keep it simple yeah. if you, especially you're not you know when you're in doubt always tell the truth yeah. is too dramatic i need something that's tried and true And AstraZeneca is a, little, a lot of controversy right now, so they need to get mm-hmm. their marketing campaign. In the meantime, I have plenty of other great options, Johnson Johnson, Johnson. Pfizer, and Moderna, Moderna, which it's been five months, and mm-hmm. I don't hear of a giant you know, mass die-off. Mm-hmm. Same way I did mm-hmm. from March to August last yeah. year, COVID. <sighs> If it wasn't COVID, I don't want any vaccines. I don't want anything. I don't want anything. But we don't that way. If it was Ebola, I don't need the Ebola vaccine yeah. because I'm never going to go to that area. Yeah. Well, I yeah. have to go to there. Then give me the yeah. vaccine. Yeah. Give me the baby's vaccine if I'm going to take care of animals. But until then, I don't need it now. Yeah. If COVID was in one part of the world, maybe I'll think about it. Yeah. Going there. But COVID is everywhere now. <laughs> so if the enemy's coming to you, you might as well protect yourself. Yeah. I agree. And I love what you said during the interview about people's hesitancy about not just the vaccines in general, but Johnson and Johnson, given that its efficacy is lower than Pfizer and Moderna. Like you said, that Diet Pepsi and the water analogy, it's like what we have now. And I just love how you're a big proponent of the vaccines. I think it also roots from the fact of what we have seen, especially you in the front lines during when COVID was. Well, I'm not a big proponent of vaccine. I'm, it's like me saying that people should drink water. Like by the time I could be a proponent of any thing i already had like 50 vaccines in my blood just big by being a kid and being fine and you know feeling great so it's like i don't think i'm like a vaccine proponent I'm more like hey i think it's important to breathe air that's true if you have a problem with it then maybe if you have a problem with vaccines then maybe it's a problem with you you have a problem with yourself and society mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not my problem to fix that so good mm-hmm. luck three most important tests needed at age 60 male <laughs> family history and your uh, history before being 60 years of age It's, it's so different depending on where you live, your demographics, your family history, and your personal medical history at that point. Yeah, and that's a great thing with emergency medicine is you get everybody, right? Like with specialized floors, we usually just get cardiac patients, but you get like everyone of yeah. every sort. Like a fun bar. Like a fun bar. Rapid fire. Rapid fire. Any other questions that, for you, that people send you? Oh, what is the most favorite place you've traveled to so far? I have a list of like superlatives. It's too hard to say. Most fascinating. North Korea, Myanmar, and Turkmenistan before all the drama. So 10 years ago. 
uh, most beautiful, Greenland, Antarctica, and Namibia. Uh, the country go back to over and over again is India or South Asia now, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and Sri Lanka and Nepal, that region. Uh, most magical, New Zealand. Most underrated, Slovenia and Kurdistan, Iraq. Most fun, big party ever, best party ever. Cuba, <laughs> Ukraine. Best food, Spain, Iran, and Japan. Most convenient. If a travel hack could be a country, it would be Japan. Then we go, boys, down to the most amazing experience, the Mauritania Iron Ore Tra Railway. Yeah. You, you do have superlatives. <laughs> um, what's your astrological sign? Uh, I'm a Scorpio Sagittarius cuss. I'm both. So a good mix. Yeah. It's a dance, you know? <laughs> what is the best place in Asia that you traveled for food? Everywhere. Or in Japan and uh, Penang, uh, Georgetown in Malaysia. Uh, Budapest, yes, is one of my favorite cities in Europe. Why was Japan most convenient? <laughs> like, literally, like, if you miss a train <laughs> the United States, which is the most developed country in the world, which, you know, if you miss a train, you're fucked for the day. You, you're, you have to wait for the next day. You're going to have to, you have to get a flight. You miss a flight, you gotta wait six hours. In Japan, if you miss a flight or a train that's cross country, you don't have to wait a day. You're like mm. running to the platform, like, oh no, I missed it. And there's like, don't worry, there's another train that is going exactly the same direction that's two minutes from now. Oh, what if I miss that? 10 minutes from now. Oh, what if I miss that? And what if I want some dinner? 15 minutes from now. 20 minutes from now. There's a train every 15, 20 minutes that goes <laughs> where you want in Japan. On a flight, you can't get anything. There's a vending machine. You can't sleep. Mm -hmm. the There's a vending machine and a menu with pictures. The cell signal I have in Japan is better than the Wi-Fi I have in the United States of America. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, wow. I'm Sprint. And, I, and, and when I'm in Japan, the cell signal is better. I don't think they, they have Sprint there. It's the least convenient if you want to make like honest, genuine friendships in a short amount of time, mm -hmm. you know, like in the Middle East or mm -hmm. uh, Europe, where mm -hmm. you meet in a hostel and you fall in love and all that. I mean, lost in translation, but that's a very westernized, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, one of my favorite like moods is that in that movie, but it's like two white people in Japan. But if you want to connect with the local and have mm -hmm. a genuine, authentic connection that's amazing and beautiful like you would in the Middle East or South Asia, being taken to a family and one of their own, mm -hmm. all those stories you hear, you know, other places, Japan is very difficult. Yeah, and that's something that you have to manage your expectations for. Someone said, I'm looking for a travel buddy. Christian doesn't want to come with me. Are you interested? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have uh, traveled, well, back before, in better times before COVID. I, Monsoon Diaries was a place for people to come together on my mm -hmm. trips, and I don't have to know you. You, never met you before the trip self-selects and you know people become best friends out of that experience mm -hmm. it's totally unplanned um, it's planned but also the unplanned yeah. it's whatever you make of it if you fall in love i can leave you behind and pick you up a year later which has happened uh, has it you want home free day it's happened we'll do everything that's on the itinerary we'll see everything that has to be seen but ultimately um it's not like a follow my flag or hold your hand mm -hmm. and get Bus. it's completely opposite it's like wow that's up and like we're here now what are we gonna do i don't know but we're gonna do it we'll just wing it but we'll see it someone was asking where's the first place you'll travel to outside the country once the world fully opens up again? depends when it, when it fully opens up it's gonna be a mm -hmm. slow opening but like yeah. you know if it's gonna be like biden announces that 80 percent of the people we have reached herd immunity the rates now have dropped to one percent despite as much testing as possible, and it happens to be June, then it'll be Cyprus. Mm -hmm. If it happens to be May and the UK opens up, then it'll be a road trip through Wales. If it happens to be October, Svalbard, which is the Alaska of Norway, it really depends on which month. I already have it all planned up. Kaliningrad in August mm -hmm. is right next to Lithuania. Or I'm getting married. I want you to come. Bring whoever you want. That's what happened two years ago to this day in Pakistan. Oh, can I bring uh, Yeah, I'll pay for it. In Pakistan? Yeah, I'll get all the visas. I'll pay for the whole wedding. You know, whatever. I, whatever day I'm done, just just flying over here. Okay, and that's what happened to okay. Mark. <laughs> Very spontaneous. Amazing. That happened. I brought in people who did not know the bride and groom uh, to a wedding. Oh, party. you didn't. 
Oh, wow. And he told me I couldn't. Yeah. Ali ran into me five years before at a wedding in Pakistan. My former girlfriend was half Pakistani. So I went to her cousin's wedding. Some guy tapped me on the shoulder. I was like, oh my God, you spoke at my school a year before. This was in 2012. I was like, oh, who are you? And he's like, oh, you're for me. And I was like, not right. But like, you seem really nice. I was like, yeah. When it's my turn to get married, you're going to come back. Five years later, I never kept in touch with him. Five years later, I got an invitation in the mail. He remembered. And he was like, you're coming. I'm a man of my word. And I, I was wow. like, he's like, and you can bring whoever you want. So I was like, okay. So I brought, I announced it. I brought 10, what, 10 people, 15 people. I don't remember. A lot. Uh, and he, he was all fully paid for. Wow. These are the stories we live for. Oh my goodness. Someone asked in the questions that I posted this, have you ever dated an ED nurse? I have been on date with people in medical school and in the ER and yes, ER nurses, wonderful people. I don't even call them dates. I call them just hanging out and getting to know mm. them. I don't believe in those like labels, but romantically involved, I have a policy. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. You know, because you're endangering patient care. If you are going to do it, be honest with your feelings, and your expectations from mm -hmm. day one. But honestly, I, I think it's like a long distance relationship. If you're willing, really, really willing to work for it and make it permanent and you commit to it and you're genuine and you go, you are honest with your expectations up front, then yeah, maybe mm -hmm. it's possible. But for me, it's like a long term relationship. Why? Like it's just, it's just too dodgy and dangerous for patient care and I don't want to risk it. I'm not against hanging out with people and getting to know them and being mm -hmm. honest with your expectations up front mm -hmm. and not expecting anything. Mm -hmm. Whatever happens, happens as long as it's two consenting adults mm -hmm. and you tell them the truth from day one. And yeah, then I, yeah, I can hang out whoever I want, I work with them or not. But getting involved in like, oh, I'm going to expect a relationship. policy. Yeah, just long distance relationships. If, you, mm -hmm. I mean, if you're willing to, fine, but just know what. Yeah. Someone asked, despite all of your achievements, do you still experience imposter syndrome? Today? Yeah, every day. I, okay. I'm having imposter syndrome right now. <laughs> what am I doing here? Why are you interviewing me? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what makes me so special. Like every day I'm in the ER or at work, even like, yeah, like, so I'm not in so Last Friday, I'm like, well, any minute now, they're going to find out I'm a fraud. I still feel that. Mm -hmm. But I think that's, I, I think I complain about it one, twice on a forum. I had grounded an airplane. I asked the pilot to land this plane. And he landed it like five minutes later in Halifax, Nova Scotia, because there was a woman in front of me having an abortion, uh -huh. uh, actually spontaneous abortion. Her baby, uh -huh. this baby, if that was 14 weeks or was just coming out on its own. She was just bleeding everywhere. I couldn't stop it. And I felt bad not being able to stop it. Worse than imposter syndrome kicked mm -hmm. in. I was like, am I allowed to do this? This mm -hmm. woman's going to die. And I was keeping her alive as long as I could. I put an mm -hmm. IV, I gave her a volume. Mm -hmm. I tried to stop the bleeding with my mm -hmm. hands, like literally in the laboratory, mm -hmm. just up there. And I told him how to land the plane. And he landed the plane for me. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I was like, oh my God, I just cost the airline like $300,000. I mean, the woman lived and we got her off the flight. She lived and everything, you know, the plane clapped for me, mm -hmm. which is feeling great. But I, that made me, I, it, it felt like a movie, but like I still yeah. felt like more of an imposter syndrome. I was like, mm -hmm. uh, I, all I did was just be there right at the right place at the right mm -hmm. time. Yeah, I felt like shit because I cost the <laughs> plane $300,000. Upset about it, but whatever. I mean, they, they're also happy, but I didn't hear back from them. And then mm -hmm. I asked the forum, they're like, you know what, that imposter syndrome, we all feel it. And it's a sign mm -hmm. that you're still willing to learn. That's true. And you're not dangerous. The dangerous doctors are the ones without imposter syndrome, who thinks they know think they know everything, and then mm -hmm. it happens, and they don't know how to do you know deal with it. The weirdest object you ever found in a human's body? Uh, Barbie doll. Uh, where? Oh, <laughs> uh, up, up in the butt. Yeah, a Barbie doll. Yeah, he sat on it or he fell on it. Yeah, a shampoo bottles is a big one. That's the only thing that's even that weird. People get off of it. Off it. Yeah. Let me drink to that. Yeah. <laughs> Someone said no. Yeah. Uh, oh, pets. I've, I've seen pets up in like gerbils and stuff. They were dead up people's butts. That was sad. A, a gerbil? 
Yeah, it was some rodent, uh, oh. a hamster or something. Yeah, furry animal. Yeah, amazing. Wow, I this, this, this is easy for you, everybody. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh my! I think we'll need another session for this dog. Just <laughs> just a list of all of your your distinctions seen in the ER and the. Uh, is there any scariest moment that you can visualize? Um, being in uh, alone in like a single coverage ER in the middle of nowhere and having to see all the patients because you're the only doctor. It's one doctor, one nurse mm -hmm. uh, in the middle of the night uh, in a critical access place in, in two hours or one hour away from the closest city and hospital. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that was fun and scary at the same time. Because that's mm -hmm. it, it's all you. I remember calling in a helicopter and uh, yeah, it was unreal. I mean, that's what fear is, right? Yeah. I mean, if there was no fear, then it would be easy. It, it yeah. was nothing, you know, crazy. Mm -hmm boring yeah i mean nothing bad happened thank god but being alone mm -hmm. in yeah. er in the middle of north i did that for about a year and a half two years we knew about the hospital like message me like don't work there <laughs> never worked there. I'm like oh i'm having so much fun i mean it's great i love i love working there. like no it's so dangerous for your license you know in, in new york most of the time i'm like yeah you know what it's hard to go back yeah well it's like straight out of a movie oh my gosh have you or your co-workers ever thought or experienced paranormal stuff in the ER? I think all the time. I, I, okay. I really honestly believe that there is a spirit that leaves mm -hmm. your body as your heart stops. Mm. Like literally floats around and sees everything. That's why I tell mm. everyone shut the fuck up you know when they're like joking around yeah i mean i can totally understand there's some dark humor that goes around yeah but i feel like you're just like yeah I mean, not only that but the family could be standing outside too mm -hmm. but i mean i i've been guilty of that too i'm feeling hor mm -hmm. horrible about it with my training mm -hmm. and luckily mm -hmm. i never really gotten caught for it but it's just like mm -hmm. honestly believe that you know shit has happened um when mm -hmm. we bring it back they have said you said that or like da, da, da. and it was like no way you would have known unless you literally float into the break room you know as you were trying to bring you back alive and forth i've seen it. I mean, there's a Netflix documentary special, Friends is in it. But yeah, I mean, like, these are real people with real experiences. Mm -hmm. I cannot deny it. Honestly, like, yeah, my life began after my dad died. Who knows my guardian angel, the reason why I have so many mm -hmm. certainties and like I keep running to people that, over and over again, things that happen in the ER. Yeah. You might never know. I mean, it's life of pie. Choose to say it's just like random chance, which is, mm -hmm. oh, what a terrible story. Or you can choose to believe in this magic in the universe. And mm -hmm. if it doesn't hurt you, who the fuck do you care? Well, people, I choose to believe in this magic because it gives me meaning. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, there's too many serendipities that have happened for me to not to believe in it. At least, yeah. you know, it, everything has a meaning, and I, I know a lot of people who are watching this know there are weird shit that's happened when you hang out with me in person that you cannot believe. Just, it's just like this energy that brings people together. Yeah. Are full moons more crazy than other moons? Yeah, I really think that full moons on a Friday the 13th, there have been, I mean, it's all about what your perception and how you will it so. So if you go in with that attitude, it's like, today's going to be a shit show. Today's going to be a shit show. And then people think that. So yeah, you know, there are such things, white clouds too. Yeah. It depends on who's working. There are a lot of enough good energy and you have a good team that's very fast and efficient. They don't believe in full moons. Then even the busiest of days can feel really, really easy. Yeah. They believe in the word quiet. <laughs> Yeah, I do believe in it. Do not say that word. Do not say it. Oh, um, actually, my very first night of orientation in my unit, I said in the beginning of the show, I was like, oh, it's so quiet here. And everyone looked at me and my patient within the next 30 minutes had DIC. Yeah. And so they were basically like bleeding everywhere. They were bleeding from the eyes. I was a new grad, fresh out of orientation. It was my very first night on my own, out of orientation. I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? They said, never say the keyword, never say yeah. quiet. Karma exists. I really yeah. believe, I mean, overall karma. So yeah. if you say the keyword, there'll be someone out there who's like, oh, you're getting a little cocky, huh? Yeah. We're going to fuck you up a bit. <laughs> 
you know, you go in with bad karma, there's someone out there, kind of, maybe not physical, but guardian angel. The positive it's, vibes works. Yes, it does. Of course, positive. I mean, you it go does. to a patient and you look angry and mad and mm -hmm. energy, you mm -hmm. can diagnose the shit out of them. Yep. And, and they'll be like, well, fuck you. I don't like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel they're bad. I'm like, the hell? Right? Yeah. You go in and even if you're like not quite sure what's going on, you're like in it together and you're pleasant and you're reasonable and they can't help but like you, positive vibes, they're going to feel good. Even if it's a really bad diagnosis, like appendicitis, yeah. they're being like, I'm in good hands. This person generally cares mm -hmm. as bad as my appendicitis. Mm -hmm. And I think all of those little things is going to help. I agree. <laughs> if anyone else have any questions, if not, I don't know if Dr. Sun still sleeps. <laughs> Since you're per diem, are you the one who chooses like where you want to go? That's the reason why I per diem, like whenever I want. I actually just switched to per diem at work too since it's so busy. It's great to just work when, when you want to work, so. Yeah, it's not for everyone. Like you have yeah. to be someone that is confident to know that people will like you. Yeah. So if you're per diem and you're not a people person and nobody likes you Ugh. and you're also not that, you're like, okay, your job. Every person that you sign per diem, every <laughs> you know, be like, I don't need to give this person work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No two weeks notice. I don't have to. Mm -hmm. Right? But if you are are confident in yourself and your people, you're very easy at making friends with different places, mm -hmm. like, then you have your pick of the litter. I, I really think it's, you know, not everyone is successful in the, you know, in the dating world if everyone dates the same way. Mm. Everyone should be per diem. Not everyone should be on dating apps and not yeah. everyone should arrange marriages and not everyone should do traditional. Yeah. You do it your own way. Figure it out. As long as you have a good relationship with yourself. Yeah knowing yourself. So mm -hmm. if you're not the per diem type, then do full time. Yeah. Uh, I knew myself is that I don't like having a boss. I don't mm -hmm. like told what to do. Mm -hmm. I'm not very good authority. I work for myself. I'm confident mm -hmm. like knowing what my limits are. So I don't mm -hmm. want to work overnights if I don't, I just, mm -hmm. I'm not good at that. I mean, I'm good at overnights. I love overnight shifts, but oh, I'm not, I love overnights. I know per diem fits better. I love to travel mm -hmm. and having my own speed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will say, no, I have a family. I need stability. Mm -hmm. I'm not comfortable with lack of stability. I yeah. tried, you know, yeah. 10 years off and I hated yeah. it. Mm -hmm. Then that's, I get it. Gray area is someone that's like, no, I don't like instability. I, I want stability, but they don't know. They just assume that. They basically were a student all their life and then they got the job and they signed full time. That's the person I'm like, try out per diem, try out locum, try out, try something where you can be on your own. Touch the burner multiple times and you know it's not for you. Yeah. Who am I to say per diem is for you? No, you may be full time. I love per diem. I don't think I'd ever go back to regular flex time, honestly. It's just great being on your own time and when you want to work, you know. You don't have to feel that stressed up. Oh, I have to work again tomorrow because I have to. <laughs> no, but being your own boss is great. I think autonomy is also mm -hmm. good for yourself. Going to work because you chose to go to work. Yeah. Someone else told you to is amazing. Is it a great yeah. feeling? Like that's on. I mean, it's also a shitty feeling, but in a good way. <laughs> Like tough love and like yeah. oh nobody told me to go i chose it that's on me I, yeah all right fine can't be mad at anyone but yourself which yeah. is mm -hmm. best friends are for to be the yeah. one be like i hate you and i love you the sweet is not a sweet without the sour i agree can all hospitals do per diem good luck most people don't want to do per diem you're not gonna it's not mm -hmm. gonna happen it's like asking everyone to invest in you know mm -hmm. the bitcoin or stock market it's possible you know but it, human behavior uh, prevents it because everybody wants stability everybody wants their benefits taken care of retirement plan being you, know, you don't get benefits you mm -hmm. don't have a retirement plan mm -hmm. you got to do a million applications all every year re, you know recertifying credentialing a lot of people hate that paperwork people want to be academic people want to have academic titles mm -hmm. i was lucky to be a clinical assistant professor because mm -hmm. they like me so much but even then i was like what are you sure you want to give that to me but most <laughs> people will not get that so majority of people will not want it um mm -hmm. if everybody wanted to do per diem yes then mm -hmm. it's possible but the healthcare system would probably collapse yeah. on weekends not want to do that yeah it's a moot point because i don't see mm -hmm. society going 
in that direction. People need stability more than they know. Like, I'm talking to the, the minority people who are like in the gray area. Like, I don't know what I want to do. I'm like, well, mm -hmm. here I'm. I exist. Validate my existence. If I can do it, let me help you guide you and give you the confidence to be able to do, to try it yourself. Touch the burner. See if it works for you. If it not, at least you know and you tried it with mm -hmm. my safety net, knowing that I exist without ever living your life wondering what if. That's like the mm -hmm. biggest mm -hmm. you know, prime of all. If you do that to yourself, yeah, uh, never knowing. Mm -hmm. It's a traveling nurse parallel to the per yes. diem role. Yeah, traveling nurses to live in the dream. It's just hard to readjust at different places, but you know, if you, it's like bartending at different bars. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also hard, especially if you have like family already somewhere and you'll have to move each time and then the one above per diem health plan there's no health plan there's mm -hmm. no i had to get everything else so i signed up in the market i got my own health plan i got mm -hmm. my retirement i have my own individual 401k and e-trade yeah. my own roth ira on van yeah me too yeah. so i do everything myself adulting is hard but i got to learn it it was a great opportunity now i will tell you there is a company that did give me a retirement plan and health care Mm. allowed me a per diem of life and that was pretty sweet so i will not divulge what it is but you know everything that, that sounds like paradise <laughs> yes so those things don't exist but remember yeah. what we said yeah. in the beginning is i do mm -hmm. life the humans behind the institutions will give in will change will make decisions benefiting you based on emotion not the logic so if you can yeah get to their emotion and make them like you, understand mm -hmm. you, so that they want to infiltrate mm -hmm. their own space, mm -hmm. decolonizing, subverting, turning things around. And I'm not saying for me, but like for all society. But if they could do that for me, then I just want to say there's hope in doing that for a society that has different yeah. groups. But yes, there's it is everything anything is possible as long as you ask. What is your favorite memory of bartending since it's come up multiple times? Oh man. Uh I do used to do the food and wine magazine opening where I just, you know, wine and dine and schmoozed. I remember bartending for my own birthday party that was a lot of fun and just being able to not having to deal with money just mm -hmm. drinks out the bar really liked me so it was, you know he took care of it being able to work for my friends and yeah. you know talking people while making them drinks um but one of my favorite memories of bartending is still that bet i lost that bet <laughs> yeah that bet that bet. <laughs> yep. Do so I travel any emergency meds? I travel with Decadron, a steroid for mm -hmm. emergency allergies. I travel with Diamox if I'm traveling to high altitudes. Mm -hmm. I travel with Azithromycin for traveler's diarrhea if it lasts for too long. Cipro used to for diarrhea, but now I save it on for like really bad stuff. Yeah. I don't like Cipro as a drug. Doxycycline for everything. If I was stuck in an yeah. isolated island in a jungle and by myself, yeah. if I could have this Doxycycline yeah. because it fixes everything. Just don't sunburn. Cortisone cream because I get photosensitivity dermatitis yeah. uh easily clobetasol because i have eczema mm -hmm. benadryl pepsid and emodium um so you just have a whole pixis in your bag basically you have the whole medication cart yeah yeah what's your favorite drink <laughs> i like making the peanut butter and jelly sandwich because it tastes exactly like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich vodka amaretto frangelico shampoo with a splash of cranberry i love drinking anything mint chocolate so green creme mm -hmm. And the cocoa, delicious, but I'm a whiskey person now, so that's my favorite drink. What was the bet I lost? Oh my god, you gotta go. It's a long story. Pretty much, I never wanted to travel. This girl wanted me to travel. She was gonna go to Egypt. I told her I really liked her. She wanted me to come with her, and I was like, I'll go up tickets under $700. There were 2000 at a time, and then 36 hours later, I was in Egypt with her because I found a $650 flight. Just Google alone in Cairo monsoon diaries. Favorite whiskey. <laughs>
Uh, favorite whiskey? Um, I love the guy uh, Japanese whiskey. Which, oh, I keep forgetting the name, but it's so good. P punching myself for not remembering, but the one I remember over and over, it's the Japanese whiskey. They're saying if that's the name of the whiskey, Centauri Japanese whiskey. Centauri. I think it's called Nikai. Nikai Japanese whiskey. Nika. Nika. N i k k a. I love Centauri too. So beggars can't be choosers when it comes <laughs> going to be choosers. How much alcohol healthcare workers consume this way? No alcohol. Alcohol is bad. Period. Don't drink alcohol. But if you must, drink spirits. Because but if alcohol. you must. Yeah. But if you must, spirits. Everybody has to have a vice. We all have scars. But if you can help it, don't drink. Alcohol is. Ugh. As he says, all of these names. Right? <laughs> have drinks. The the best detective used to be the worst criminals. They teach you and. <laughs> police academy school or something i don't know that's a saying the best bartender is the one who i don't know no, doesn't drink i don't know <laughs> i know my i'll, I'll tell you that you know, if you had to relocate somewhere in the u.s to another state where would you go and why um just a, maybe a different part of manhattan like tribeca mm -hmm. mm. yeah so you're saying new york you yep. love new york too much it's pretty much the united states of new york <laughs> Such from a true New Yorker. Never will ever leave. I mean, maybe I'll like do a, an away home or P de tier, mm. but New York is in my blood, in my life. But it has, it will literally until it's underwater, I, I will stay here. Yeah. I mean, your whole life was formed here. You went to school here, you did everything here. Yeah. I, and I tried uh, to get out. I tried to apply to colleges mm. at New York. Oh, really? It never happened. Yeah. You know, just, it didn't take me. Tried to apply to medical school out of New York. It didn't take me. Tried to apply to residency out of New York. It didn't take me. And believe me, I applied to more places out of New York than in New York. In New oh, York. really? Wow. Yeah. But this, it was that one New York school, and you stayed ever since. Yeah, it's just, you know, I tried, and uh, they, they just wouldn't let me. So, you know, I have to respect the universe. <laughs> it, it somehow knows more than I do. I really love Shanghai, Mumbai, mm. Budapest. I really like Jackson, Wyoming, but it's just not New York. Mm -mm. I like Philadelphia. I mean, these are all just like people you know and friends. Do you like Cali? A lot of people feel think I belong in Cali. Um, I my brother is born and raised from California. The Bay. Oh, okay. people think I have the chillness over Cali. I don't. I disagree with that. I think, but uh, I think the Pacific Coast Highway was beautiful. I love traveling mm -hmm. through California. I love the beaches. I love the people mm -hmm. there. I have a lot of friends there. And it's just yeah, it's not hitting me I'm like yes. It's not hitting I, you like New York. I go by my gut. I will tell you if I have mm -hmm. an aha moment. There was an aha moment in Tokyo. There was an aha moment in Budapest. There was mm -hmm. an aha in Cairo. There was an aha moment in Mumbai. Mm -hmm. All a moment. But nothing as like New York was like New a, York. Uh, 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 uh. Uh. I, I'm not getting it. I'm not. I'm not getting that in that intuition. I'm not seeing that in my mind. New York is the place to be, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's the safest place since May for the pandemic. I mean, mm -hmm. we punched. You bounce back quickly, and it's the only place in the United States where I think there's so many of us living in a because we share. Mm -hmm. Look out for one another in the way that other places outside of New York doesn't. Don't get me wrong. New York is not for everybody. It's not. <laughs> It can really, literally, and figuratively punch you in the face after mm -hmm. like, the best relationship of your life. It's in a, it's for some trigger warning. It's it's very an abusive relationship. It's there are times where I really hated New York and it did not mm -hmm. be well, mm -hmm. uh, and I wanted to get out. But there, like, every time I try to get away, I wanted to go back. But New York is not a person. New York is a, a concept. If it was a person, I would leave it absolutely. <laughs> Your place and a concept that shaped me for who I am, and I cannot deny that in my existence. And therefore, I'm recharged here, and I know how to dance with it now. Nothing like New York. <laughs>
And what about vitamin D and COVID? Vitamin D is important. I think we're all baseline vitamin deficient mm -hmm. in this country because we're always inside. In New York. <laughs> and especially in New York. Vitamin D is like a seatbelt. You should always get vitamin D. Don't get too much of it because seatbelts can also give you mm -hmm. seatbelt sign. You know, seatbelt sign is a medical problem when it ruptures your bowels if it's too tight or a cut on your neck. Yeah. But seatbelts, when used properly, is necessary. COVID is like a car crash. You should still wear a seatbelt on the way to the hospital. Like you should still take vitamin D whether or not you have COVID. Yeah. But that vitamin D is not going to fix COVID, mm -hmm. all right? That seatbelt is not going to fix your car. It, it would help. It, I mean, it doesn't hurt to not be vitamin deficient when you have COVID. You will do worse mm -hmm. with anything being vitamin D deficient or any vitamin deficiency, especially COVID. Uh, yeah. Happen to be vitamin D deficient, then take some vitamin D. And if you get COVID, don't expect vitamin D to cure COVID. I'm breaking out right now because I finally stayed out in the sun for more than an hour on Sunday. <laughs> rally for Asia. I remember like oh, yeah, I yeah. about to go up and speak and the sun was on my face and I texted my girlfriend, bring some sunblock, but she could not reach me backstage and I was just getting all the sun. And I really, my thought, I was like, I'm finally getting all the vitamin D I've been missing on the past year. And then I started out. I'm like, fuck yeah, vitamin D. <laughs> Why do people believe lies of the vaccine? Oh, first of all, is it really worth your attention and time? Are these really people that's gonna, you're gonna invite to your birthday, that's gonna be there for you, that's gonna love you and care for you? If not, then why do you care? They're gonna, people are gonna believe lies about Santa Claus. <laughs> believe lies about, you know, everything. I heard that Santa Claus existed does not mean I need to pay attention to those people. Mm. Who cares? Mm. However, if they are really people that are important in your life, and you do need to give them your attention. And you feel mm. like you're going to gain something by giving them your attention, that your energy is not lost by paying attention to them. Mm. Then the only way I can understand is that they're afraid. And when they're afraid, they'll believe anything. Mm. I get it. As a, someone who's afraid, I tend to be, and when my dad died, I believed everything that someone's out to get me, that someone's like, mm. Him, then someone poisoned my dad, someone mm, this. Mm -hmm. It just, you know, the denial is very strong when you're in a, 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 an afraid. They're afraid because there's a pandemic. People have told them to lock down. They lost all sense of autonomy. Their youth was robbed or their life was robbed. They were about, 2020 was supposed to be their year. And all of a sudden, everyone told them to stay home and can't travel. Of course, they're going to be in denial and then be afraid. And in that fear, some people do good with that fear. And some people may not do good with that fear. Not everyone's going to be mm -hmm. good. Some people are going to be in a dark place and be in the negative place in that fear and then start believing whatever they want to believe mm -hmm. that fits within their fractured, broken mm -hmm. world. And there is nothing I can do about that for them if they're not willing to be helped. I can only help the people that want to be helped. I can't, you know, try to fix it that's covered in broken glass. Yeah. I feel sad. I feel bad. I get it. Sometimes when they're afraid, they want to mean something. They want to stake their claim and change the world. They want to dare to be great situations. So they'll just state their claim, even though they know they don't really believe in it. They want to, their 15 seconds of relevance. They want to be important. Everyone else is on TV. This is my time to stand out. So I'm going to believe something controversial because I'm afraid so that I can balance out that fear with standing up for something, even if I don't really truly understand what it means. I go to medical school to really know what it means but who cares listen to me that satisfies the fear it's like a drug the endorphin rush drug 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 it becomes a hit and they get a lot of feedback from people some good some bad but they're getting attention so they get the hit another hit and the endorphin and now it's getting sucked in and remember humans make decisions based on emotion not logic thank you so much for answering all of these questions this real-time questions i love it yeah that's a good sign that means i have literally answered everyone's questions that's yeah i love the vibes of this thanks for bringing me to the space. Of course, thank you. It's not, it's not the last time, Dr. Sun. Yeah. Anyway, we'll have more stories. And hopefully um, soon when, when traveling opens up again. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. 
we'll, we'll, we'll travel again soon. I have, yeah. you know, my trip's already selling out, so it's a good sign. Yeah. Thank you so much for just being so transparent, so vulnerable, and so inspiring. I have learned so much. For sure, everyone learned so much. And thank you. We can't wait for future travel vlogs as well. I feel like this is just part one of yeah. many more talks that we can have. And I'm here all night. And I, I got to give you a kudos for talking for this long without ever needing me to talk about my Egypt story or my, you know, how, how I got to med school, the, the guy that wrote my recommendation letter. <laughs> it spends five minutes, everyone. Like, that's usually my, like, rel you know, reliance. Or didn't, I didn't even talk about my father's death or anything. Mm -hmm. Great, because these are things you can easily find um, since yeah. it's been shared so much. But for us to talk this long without me having to go into that origin story is like, you know, the Marvel Spider-Man movie. Uncle Ben did not, you did not have to see Uncle Ben die in <laughs> Spider-Man Homecoming, unlike the other Spider-Man series. Like, oh my God, we can actually pick up where we left off, which is rare. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank you so much, Doc. And again, this is just part one. And who knows, maybe we'll be in a different country together next time yeah. for our travels. Live when we're abroad in a... Yeah, that would be so nice. Finish Probably a so hostel, just chilling with a glass of Centauri whiskey <laughs> um, in a foreign country, looking outside of the temples or, you know, jungle or nature or whatever. Or the, yeah. And we'll, show, and we'll show everyone our views through yep. the camera. That would be great. Dr. Calvin, thank you so much. I hope you have a great night and you get rest. But thank you. Bye, so everyone.